I'm Katie. I'm Liz, and we're Not Not Your Your Mommy. Mommy. Hello. Um, Joining you solo today, which is a little bit weird. Weird to not have my partner in crime saying all the sayings wrong. (laughs) But it is like kind of strangely liberating to be talking to a microphone alone in your house. But yeah, it's just going to be me today. I am... Uh, I mean, I know we've chatted, I've I've mentioned numerous times throughout the pod um, that I struggled with my mental health when I was postpartum, um, but I feel like we've never really do- dove into what exactly happened. Yeah, I mean, the intention of sharing my story is not for it to be um, dark and a, and a sob story. I'm very much in a place um, where I've healed and learned a lot through the experience. I've written a lot about it, but I think some of it for me is still difficult to communicate in words, certainly words on a page. And, you know, whether or not you've experienced postpartum depression or anxiety, I think that elements of it are part of like the universal experience of being a mother. So trigger warning, if mental health you know, struggles and that kind of thing are happening in your life right now or feel like they're going to bring up stuff that's not going to feel good, then just skip this episode. Won't be hurt. Um, I know not everyone likes hearing stories like this, but I also have seen just through sharing um, pieces of my story online or in publication, uh, it does resonate. And what that leads me to believe is that this is an experience that's entirely not unique to me. Um, and while it is, you know, way more, um, out in the open than it was in say, even when our moms were having babies, there still is, um, some stigma attached to it. And I think some pressure to kind of just brush it under the rug and prioritize the baby's health, which obviously is a priority, but I mean, mental health, especially for the mom, often gets pushed to the wayside. And I am an example of, um, you know, the negative implications of that. So, um, yeah, that's my little disclaimer. But yeah, I guess let's let's go back to the beginning, shall we? So I, I had my son three and a half years ago, and Katie and I are different in this way in that I always knew that I wanted to have kids. I was always very maternal. I, you know, loved to babysit. I had a friend who had kids very young um, and I was very involved in their life. So it felt like an inevitable part of um, my story. And so when my husband and I got married in 2019, we got married in June and then throughout the summer, you know, went on like a very boozy, spendy honeymoon came home and in my mind, it just felt like, okay, this is the time. This is the time we start trying to have a baby. And I honestly didn't put a lot of thought into it, which is interesting for someone who overthinks almost everything. I just felt like we're young, we're in love. I love babies. Let's try to have a baby. And so we're very lucky in that we tried and it happened very quickly Throughout my pregnancy, especially the early part of it, I was very much in kind of a naive ignorance is bliss state. So 
one thing I know about myself is that I, I romanticize life. So like I love, I love love and I tend to sort of have these visions of how life will be and how things will feel. And that was like very much the case when it came to having a baby. So, you know, regardless of friends telling me the horror stories or even just like, you know, pop culture uh, views on the fact that, you know, babies make you, you don't sleep and you lose your sense of self and all that. I was just like, my mind, my son and I are just going to, you know, go to cafes. He'll sleep peacefully in his stroller and I'll read books and it'll just be sunshine and puppies and rainbows and happiness all the time, which obviously we both, we both, we all know that that is not always the case. Um, so I was very much in that mindset. I had a very like uncomplicated pregnancy. I mean, I felt pretty gross at the beginning, but, um, once I kind of got through that hump, I actually felt really great. I felt very, you know, vibrant and alive and, um, yeah, I felt really good. I felt very excited to be carrying this little boy. And then the pandemic hit. So March of 2020, I would have been like just entering my third trimester. So obviously that's when stuff really starts to get real. And that's when the world really started to, you know, dash any dreams I had of things being typical. So I would say, you know, those final three, four months before I had my son were very scary. I think my nervous system got into a state of like uh, threat. I always was worried about, okay, what's going to be taken away next? And when you've had, when you're having your first baby, you rely on these sort of uh, milestones like prenatal class or a baby shower just to mark this huge transition in your life. And all of those things just weren't happening. And it was still, obviously the pandemic was so new. No one could really tell me with certainty, if you get COVID, will it be worse because you're pregnant? Or, you know, like, what am I inadvertently doing that might be putting myself or my uh, future child at risk? So, you know, that was kind of permeated the whole end of pregnancy with this like feeling of uneasiness rather than nesting and feeling excited. Um, and then too, you know, there was like in early days in March, you, I heard of, you know, moms in New York giving birth to their babies when their husband wasn't even allowed in the delivery room. So that was top of mind for me. I really wanted my mom and my sister to be with me when I gave birth and that wasn't possible. So I felt like, you know, the breeding grounds for my mental health being slightly unstable were it was already happening before I even had my son. I will also mention too that I have struggled with my mental health since my early 20s. I mean, probably my whole life, but there wasn't a, there wasn't a name for it uh, or a diagnosis until I was in my early 20s. So I, um, yeah, I couldn't even really put into words what it is I was feeling, but, um, you know, in my early twenties, things kind of reached a breaking point for me where things were starting to feel unmanageable. And that's when I was put on, um, anti-anxiety medication. So I was on medication, I was on anti-anxiety medication throughout my entire pregnancy, 
pregnancy safe ones, obviously. Um, I mean, I know there's polarizing opinions about SSRI and pregnancy, but I am very much pro medication if you need it for your mental health. So there's like a little background of where I was before I had my son. So I had, I had Emmett in June of 2020. Um, so yeah, the pandemic in my mind, I was like, oh, it's going to be gone by the time my son's here. Jokes on me. It was not. Um, and so June came around and I had kind of come to terms with the state of the state. I was, you know, I knew that my birth and my, um, postpartum wasn't going to look exactly the way I thought it was, but I was sort of, I had accepted that this was what it was going to be. Um, and so I, um, I had my son and I had a very long, uh, I mean, Katie's going to give her whole birth story. And to be honest, I just, it's not that I have, I mean, I'm in, I'm in a, a much more of a state of acceptance around my birth, but to me, it wasn't like this experience that I really feel the need to relive. It was very long. Um, you know, I was sent back and forth to the hospital a couple times because it was my first baby and I had no idea what I was looking for. Uh, in terms of, am I in labor? Am I not in labor? Um, and then it was like, oh yeah, I am in labor. Like, LOL that I thought this before was labor. Um, and so, you know, once I got that sweet, sweet epidural, things really slowed down. And unfortunately my son, he's got a pretty big head and it was just turned in the slight angle that made it hard for him to come out that old canal. Um, so I pushed for a long time. I don't, I don't remember how many hours it was a long time ago now, but in my mind it was like 4,000 hours. I'm sure it wasn't, but yeah, like could literally see his head, could touch it. Like I was not precious, had the mirror down there. I wanted to see my progress, could see his big mop of black hair. He was not, he was not coming out. It would like, he would come, we'd come forward and back in. It was not happening. And so from when I remember, um, I always joke with Aaron. I was like, literally, I think there was like 10 guys with their hands in my vagina. I don't remember like doctors in and out. And, uh, Emmett was kind of becoming distressed. I was obviously exhausted. And so, um, we discussed our options. I don't really remember how and why. Well, actually, no, I do because I was very attached to, and mothers, I feel like some of you will relate to this. Like, when you have been working at something for that long, I was attached to the idea of a vaginal birth. I've been through labor. I've dilated. I'm getting this sucker out of my coochie. And uh, so I was like, okay, sure, let's try forceps, which thank God didn't work because I've heard, I mean, I know, I know they can do them totally effectively, but it didn't work for me. So from there, had a C-section, which felt just very traumatic and not at all what I had envisioned my birth to be. And, you know, me, romantic me, it wasn't the golden hour, you know, holding my son, looking at my husband, marveling at this child we had made. It just felt like an emergency. It felt like a medical, scary event. And then layer on that, that you know, I can't have family or anyone come to visit and everyone's in masks and everything's like, you know, the, literally the first thing the person said to me when I went to the delivery, like to be admitted was, are you having symptoms of, you know, fever? I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like I, why COVID second 
this needs to be second right now. I, there's another crucial medical thing happening to me anyway. So had the C-section, which I mean, I know looking back, like my recovery and that whole experience was very textbook. Um, but because, um, I guess this is common with C-section births. Like my son had quite a bit of fluid in his lungs. So his breathing sounded kind of, it was quite labored. Um, and so we were sent to the NICU, um, because they wanted to make sure that there was no um, potential for infection. Um, he also, to layer on, was because I was on SSRIs, he was experiencing some withdrawals at birth. So um, mums, if, if you've been on medication, you've prob- you probably know what I mean, kind of like twitchy arms and hands. And, um, you know, all during my pregnancy, what I was told was that it was more important for me to protect my mental health. Um, and it's, you know, happy mom, happy baby. Um, but I wasn't given a lot of insight into, you know, what the experience of having the child and how I would feel afterwards, knowing that I'd been on those medications. So I wasn't, I didn't really know that these withdrawal symptoms would present themselves. And, you know, I've, I've written about this and told this story, but, you know, when he was, when Emmett was experiencing these withdrawal symptoms and I was in the NICU and, keep in mind, I'm like in bed, like attached to a catheter, my, I'm bleeding, I'm oozing every bodily fluid you can imagine. And I just remember hearing these nurses outside the delivery or the NICU room whispering that, you know, it's SSRI withdrawal. And again, I was in a very vulnerable state. So I interpreted that whisper as it felt very judgmental. And I think it was just that I'd overheard it and I felt I felt like I had been caught and it felt like I had only just had this child and I've already done something to put him in danger. So that was like another seed that started this whole experience. Um, and so we were in the NICU for a couple days and, you know, couldn't have family there. Uh, there was a lot of emphasis on getting breastfeeding going, um, so, you know, pumping and I wasn't really getting a lot and my, um, my son was latching, but I just, I, I felt so confused by the whole thing. I just was like, I want to have a measuring stick on my boobs so I can see exactly how much my son is getting. Because to me, it just felt like this like magical mystery that I'm supposed to feed my son from my boobs and, I have no idea how to do that. I have no idea how that works. And then, oh, you got to go home and there's no one there to tell you when to breastfeed or how to breastfeed. You're on your own. So when I got home, I think I was in a little bit of like a state of shock and almost kind of like a weird euphoric high. Um, I was very, like I was thinking about this the other day. I remember the first night we got home and, you know, I don't know. We, we put Emmett down and he was asleep and my husband and I looked at each other. We were like, I mean, not that hard. Hey, like whatever. I don't know what people are talking about. Of course he woke up like 45 minutes later and, um, my boobs are like hard as rocks. And like, I feel like I have like a fever and I'm like, Oh my God, I have COVID. Didn't know that just like my milk was coming in. But I remember that night and a few of those early nights, like kind of like feeding Emmett and like in the dark being like, wow, like, I'm just a part of this group of women who there's so many other women across the world right now who are awake feeding their babies too. And we're all in this together. I'm like, how magical is this that I 
created this being and he's mine and look, I'm keeping him alive. And yeah, so there was like a very brief sort of uh, the high that some people talk about feeling after birth. Um, and then quite quickly, it transitioned to, um, there was a lot of concern and focus on my son's weight. So, um, and again, I am now in a place where like, I do not blame the care I received. I also was in a state where I was receiving news through the lens of like anxiety and fear. Um, but yeah, like fairly early on, it was like, okay, Emmett's not gaining weight quickly enough. Um, you know, got into like the crazy pumping regime, was taking, um, different supplements to try and increase my milk supply. And so, yeah, there was a good like few months there where I was just really focused on that to the point of like, it really, I mean, it really consumed me, which I know it does regardless of whether or not you have issues breastfeeding. Breastfeeding is a full-time fucking job. But, um, you know, our online prenatal group, because um, it shifted online, we had like a final meeting on like when our babies were six weeks, because obviously that's when um, when babies are typically discharged from their postpartum care. And Emmett was not discharged at that point. They wanted to keep him on for further monitoring because the weight gain trajectory still wasn't exactly where it needed to be. So to me, that felt like, you know, I felt like I had, I hadn't passed the test. You know, we hadn't graduated. Everybody else seemed like they were kind of figuring this out. And I felt like, you know, everything I read told me that at six weeks, you should be kind of feeling okay. And I was feeling in fact, I was feeling worse than I did when I first had my son because I think the reality of my situation had really set in and, you know, this breastfeeding, pumping regime that I was on was really getting taxing. Um, you know, I still have PTSD when I hear the sound of a breast pump. It is, yeah, it just, it was such a an intense emotional time. And so... From there, I would say there was another, like, you know, another six to eight weeks of really existing in this state of all I ever thought about was pumping and why am I not getting more milk and watching, which this is the most destructive behavior. I would watch, like, on Instagram or TikTok, people like posting their pumping and how much milk they were getting. It was like a, it was like a, train wreck I couldn't look away like it made me feel so bad about myself and I was in such like a scarcity mindset when it came to breast milk and it just to me when I look back at it it just goes to show how in it I was and how little perspective I had on the outside world because I know now that it doesn't matter and all of this focus and pressure I put on myself in my mind really did lead me to a place that I think could have been avoided if I didn't place such an emphasis on all of the milk needs to come from me and I need to do everything I can to provide for my son. And, you know, it it was, it was to a point where, um, because I wasn't pumping a lot, like I was pumping to increase supply, but it's not like I then had like freezers full of milk, never had that. Don't understand women like that. I'm still jealous of you. Um, and 
So like if I, you know, ever wanted to like go somewhere, like it's not like I had bottles and bottles like at home for Aaron to my husband to feed to Emmett. So, you know, I would always be thinking if I was out like, oh, like I really hope that like the milk I fed him, aka like my milk was enough. And then if I would come home and Aaron was feeding Emmett formula, I would feel like, oh, like I, I couldn't do it. It wasn't enough. And it was just this constant narrative in my head, like, you're not doing enough. You can't provide for your child. What is wrong with you? Like, why are these other moms, why do they seem, why does it seem easier for them? And I know that it wasn't, but when you're mentally ill and you're in a pandemic and you're alone and at home during the day, scrolling Instagram, like that is not a safe place to be mentally. It was just, yeah, it was not... It, got, it created a cycle that I really couldn't escape. And so um, I would say, so in September, my son would have been about four months. I would say that's really when I reached a breaking point. So up until then, like I was still, I was still pretty much doing the things. Like I felt really anxious and unsure of myself all the time and going to appointments always gave me anxiety, weighing Emmett. I just always felt like, oh, like someone's going to know that I'm not doing it right. Um, but I still, I still kind of like plugged along. Like I took him places and I, I, on the outside, I'm sure presented as like, oh, she's doing great. And then four months hit. And I think it was just kind of the culmination of like the exhaustion from the pumping, the exhaustion from just like my nervous system constantly being in this state of like unease and worry and fear um and that sort of anxious energy really flipped into just like a deep crippling depression where I was so exhausted and like I've never been this kind of person but like all I wanted to do was just like get in bed and like morning was the worst time for me, which is interesting because I often hear people who struggle with mental health say nighttime is kind of like when their fears would all come out. Um, and I mean, save my saving grace with Emmett was that he has always been a decent sleeper. Like I do really think if he was waking up four or five, six times a night, like I don't even know if I would have made it not to sound dramatic, but truly like that's how depleted I was. So for me, it was the morning, it just brought another day of like, okay, how am I going to like feed him and pump and why am I not good at this yet? And why does this still feel so hard? Which of course, looking back, I'm like four months, why would I expect to be an expert at anything after four months, especially something so radically transformational? Um, so at four months was really when I, um, started to not be able to, to cope, um, and was really struggling getting out of bed and was, you know, having to spend a lot of time at my parents because I didn't feel great being alone. Um, cause you know, my husband was back at work and the days that he was, that I was at home, he would come home and I'd like still be in my pajamas and like, you know, there's like puke and like palm parts and tears everywhere. It was just, it was horrible. And every, um, every morning it was just like this un, it's like an indescribable feeling of dread. Um, and 
just, I was so truly disappointed. I feel like I'm going to get emotional, disappointed in myself because I had always wanted to be a mother. And I just, I didn't understand why it was, it was like this. I just really didn't think. Yeah, it was nothing that I had imagined. Anyway, and so at four months, like up until then, I had been, um, you know, like, I will say I've always been very good at advocating for my mental health. So when I was taking Emmett to have his vaccines um, and checkups or whatever, I a few times did mention, you know, like I'm feeling not myself and I'd already been on this medication, but I was like, maybe I need to increase my dose or maybe I need to look at something else. And, you know, simply increasing the dose just like wasn't cutting it. And so at four months, um, I had a call with my GP and um, there's, I'm sure as moms, you, you're familiar with it, the Edinburgh scale of for like determining um, or for diagnosing postpartum depression. And I was filling it out and my husband was sitting beside me and he was like, Liz, you have to be honest. You have to be honest with her. Like, this is how you're going to get help. And so, you know, I think that questionnaire and just the conversation I had with my GP made it clear that I was really um, in a bad place and needed help like ASAP. And so, um, reproductive mental health, which through BC women's I've written about, um, talked about, they're an incredible program. Um, but there is an insane wait list to get in, which is very telling about the state of mothers and their mental health. Um, and so because of the state I was in, my doctor, um, you know, essentially helped me bypass the wait list because I was in sort of a crisis state. And I got in with them. Obviously, I wasn't able to go in person. And this psychiatrist, um, we got on a Zoom call, uh, you know, shortly after. And I just remember looking at her and I was like, am I going to be okay? Like, is this ever going to get better? Because when you're mentally ill or ill, just generally ill, like you just feel like this is the only reality you're ever going to live in. And she was like, yes, you, you like looked me in the eyes through the Zoom, through Zoom and was like, you are going to, you're going to get back to your old self. You're going to feel better and it's going to take some time, but we're going to do this. And so I shifted medications and I was, you know, seeing my therapist still and it took a bit of time, but slowly, probably over the course of like a month, I started to feel like a sense of ease that I I hadn't felt since before I had my son. And it kind of coincided with me deciding to stop breastfeeding altogether. I was just so done with pumping, so done with feeding and feeling like, I don't know if this is right. And like, anytime my son was upset, I just was like, it's because he doesn't have enough milk for me. Like I was so over that. And so I, you know, took the gift of formula which like if you are a mom and you are feeling guilt about breast milk versus formula, please just take the gift of formula. It is a literally formulated for babies. And, you know, not everyone has a seamless breastfeeding journey. I know a lot of friends who have, and I know a lot of friends who haven't. And I know what their babies are like at when they're three and the ones that are breastfed versus non-breastfed, they're the same. It's like, there's no it's, it's not worth killing yourself physically and emotionally. So I was done breastfeeding and then 
was kind of like right got into the holiday season and I finally felt like, ugh, like I was enjoying my son and like that feeling I was chasing before I had him like I was finally starting to feel it and I was so relieved and I mean if any of you have ever struggled with any kind of mental health like the moment when you know you're kind of like back like it's just such an incredible feeling and like when I've been really low and down like you start to believe that you think about times in your life when you were happy and you were like I just don't think I'll ever get back there and when you do it's just yeah like it's it's indescribable um so yeah like around Christmas I was really starting to feel more like myself and um I think in general like I just am not a huge I found like the newborn stage really hard and really I mean it, maybe that was I I'm a, I know that was just this time around um but I really started to just get so much more out of it when Emmett was smiling at me and sitting up and he was more predictable when it came to sleep and and yeah so like that 6 to 12 months um was like pretty great and my husband also took paternity leave which I'm sure contributed to my um you know blissed out state not blissed out but I was in just like a wildly different place than I was before um and so he was off until um June which is when my son turned one and during that time um I mean I didn't talk a lot about work during my (laughs) during the like early days but I was trying to dabble because I was so desperate to feel um connected to that old part of myself um and I just mentally wasn't in the place to do that but once my husband went back to work or sorry I was on paternity leave and I was able to start taking up taking on projects I it it just brought me so much joy and it felt so good to be like using my brain like that again and I loved the balance of like being able to be a mom and you know watch my son during this really fun stage but then also like take meetings with clients and be a part of cool projects. And it just kind of felt like I was getting like a little bit of both. It was, it was great. Um, and then, yeah, my husband went back to work in June. Um, my son turned one on June 2nd and yeah, I mean, I guess just honestly that my journey is very nonlinear in that I wish I could tell you that it was smooth sailing from there, but it just truly wasn't. Um, my, um, the wheels really just started to fall off again because I was sort of continuing to exist in the same way that I was when my husband was off. So I was working and trying to parent and trying to, you know, as my son was getting older, I wanted to take him to activities and I wanted to do things with him. And I hadn't really, um, I didn't really have a clear picture of what childcare would look like yet. And I was just so overwhelmed by it. So I kind of just thought, well, you know what? I'll just keep working and I'll do it while he naps, which spoiler alert does not work. I mean, it can, and it did for a while, but it was kind of like it all just came to a head again. Um, and I wrote about this for Vogue. Like I really feel like I had a, well, very nonlinear journey with postpartum depression in that it came back and it did come back outside the time frame within which it typically occurs, which 
Like if you were to read like medical texts, they'll tell you that a woman is only postpartum until six weeks, which we all know is bullshit. Like I very much still felt postpartum when my son was 12 months. I, you know, physically didn't feel as postpartum, obviously, as I did at six weeks, but mentally, like I was taking on a whole new part of my life, which was that I'm working and I'm a mom and I'm trying to figure out who I am now. And yeah, it kind of went from, like, I would say after I had Emmett, it was a bit of a slow burn from anxiety and just like not feeling great to depression. Like this was a pretty quick switch flip into that, like all consuming, exhausting, only want to stay in my bed depression. And it was really scary because I just felt so confused. I thought I should be over this by now. I thought we were in the clear and reproductive mental health care is not available to moms after their child has turned one, which I now know from research is purely a resourcing thing. It's not like they don't believe that you still need the help. But at the time, hearing that and knowing that, it felt very much like, well, you're on your own. Like you're ba- you don't have a baby anymore. You have a toddler. Like You should be good to go. And I was not. So I connected with my doctor and, you know, it was really just sort of, we were kind of just trying to figure things out for a good, like a, 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 over a month, couple months. And during that time, it was summer, which is a weird, the weird thing about me is like, I you know, typically like seasonal depression, people get down in this, in the winter or the darker, colder months. I strangely have had the opposite experience. I think there's something about summer that almost feels like this pressure to me to be happy and to get outside and enjoy every moment. And it's almost like my brain's like, no, we're not doing that. And so really how it manifested was, again, these horrible, horrible mornings. I would just wake up at this pit of dread and I really, I really struggled to get out of bed. And on the days that my husband was, um, was home, I would just stay in bed. And he, you know, I remember this day where it was like a beautiful day in July and like so sunny. And he was like, let's go take Emmett to the water park at Granville Island, which now is like literally one of his favorite things to do. And I just like, typical me would have been all over that. Of course, let's go, let's get a coffee, let's watch him play. And I just was like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't be out there in the world with people who are okay and just living life. Like I I can't face it. And so, you know, while they went to the park and had the best time, I was literally in the dark in my bed in July. Like I just, to me, that was just so telling of like how truly unwell I was. Um, And so finally I was kind of similar to when I had my four month postpartum, like, okay, we got to like bring in the big guns here. I said to my GP, like, listen, this, the slight tweaks we've made to my medication, the therapy, all these things, like it's not cutting it. I am not well. And I am really having dark thoughts, very dark thoughts. And um, it's hard to it's hard for me to even connect to the fact that like the person that was having those thoughts and feeling that way is the same person who is talking to you right now, because I was so, I just was so convinced that there was no 
uh, life after this sadness. I just didn't think that there was a possibility that I would ever feel good again. And so, yeah, I was very honest about the fact, listen, I have been thinking compulsively about like, I feel like all that's left for me to do is to get in my car and drive and drive into a busy intersection and take my hands off the wheel and just close my eyes and hope it's all over. And, you know, I know that's a hard thing to hear. And it's a really fucking hard thing for me to say, but it's the truth. And, but, you know, there was a part of me deep, deep down that still was like, but like, I I can't do that. And, you know, my therapist would always say, the fact that you're telling me these things to me shows that you are not going to actually go through with them. And as sad and as horrible as I felt, I was like, I have to be there for my son and for my husband. Like, I I have to get through this. And I don't know how, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. And so my, um, my GP told me about this program. It's essentially like an emergency psychiatric clinic. And similar to... Um, reproductive mental health there was extensive wait lists because the world is burnt out and sad and so I called and um had to admit myself it was like a really long phone conversation answering really triggering hard questions and um yeah I you know there was some conversation about, you know, it being a wait list. And I was like, listen, like I need help today. And they were like, okay, can you be here tomorrow at eight 30? I was like, yes, absolutely. And so I was in a state where I was just too, I was too anxious. I didn't trust myself to drive. And so my dad, my dad drove me to this clinic at BGH. And I, um, remember waiting in the, sitting in the waiting room and this this girl, this younger girl, she was sitting there and I saw, you know, she had cuts all over her arms and she was just fidgeting and looked so uncomfortable in her own skin. And I just looked at her and I was like, fuck, like, what is it? Like, what is it that is causing you so much pain? But then I, then I thought, you know, I'm sure that's what's occurring to people when they look at me you have a beautiful boy, you have a husband, you have a wonderful family. And, you know, that's just not how the brain works. Like it doesn't, it doesn't discriminate. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what you have. It just, it's something that grabs a hold of you and it's can feel inescapable. So anyway, I got into this clinic and it was a resident uh, psychiatrist who helped me out and, yeah, I mean, it was a process um, that involved a lot of hard conversations and, um, you know, tr- conversations about different medications. And, you know, I think like if I, if I were to tell myself at, I don't know, 20, that I would be someone who was medicated for mental health, I would say no, no way. There's other ways we can figure that out. And now I have learned what I've learned about myself is that I am someone who needs that support. I do a lot of other things for my mental health, but to me, journaling, reading water or reading water, drinking water, getting enough sleep, exercising, like 
that's all fine and well, but I, there's something in my chemistry that I just need that little bit of help. And so there was some kind of experimenting with, um, adding on different medications. Um, and the process for me of going on a new medication was extremely hard, I think, because I was just in such a depleted state already. Um, so there was a lot of times that I wanted to stop and I felt, you know, I think it's just criminal that these medications that are supposed to help you when you're so down actually make you feel worse first. It's like, like I'm doing this like skin thing right now. And it's like made my skin worse before it gets better. Like, why, why do we have to do that? Anyway. Um, so yeah, I really wanted to quit and I, I just stuck it out. And again, the light came back. It always does. Sometimes it takes longer than others, but it came back and got my son into a really great daycare, found my footing again. And yeah, I mean, there's always going to be blips along the way. I think not so much now, but I was always sort of waiting for the other shoe to drop because, you know, these two sort of crisis modes or moments in my mental health had cropped up twice. And I just felt like it was inevitable that it was going to come back. Um, especially tied to summer, like whenever summer was approaching, I was like, Oh God, like buckle up, it's coming back. Um, but kind of where I'm at now is I'm feeling a lot more like, I know that my mental health is always something that's going to have to be a focus for me. Um, and if it does come back, which I'm sure it will in some way, at some point in my life, I now know I have so many tools to navigate it. And that's why I'm like, you know, sometimes I, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse talking about this over and over again, but I also think that I'm, I'm passionate about sharing this because I think that sometimes it's the hardest thing to do is to admit that you are really struggling and then to take the steps to get better. Because like, I have also been in the place of like, I'm fine. I'll figure it out. It's fine. And life is too short to not prioritize your peace and your happiness. And like whether or not you struggle with your mental health, becoming a mom or, you know, having a second child, it's all so difficult. And I just think anything you can do to make yourself feel more like yourself and more ready to take on like the infinite ebbs and flows that parenting throws at us, the better. Um, and yeah, so I just think that it sounds so corny, but like, I think that like people telling their stories, like literally will like save the world. And I think that the more open and honest people are about these things, especially moms, because there's still so much pressure to say that you love it and say that you enjoy every moment of it. And then it's the best thing that ever happened to you, the love you've never known before. And of course it is that sometimes, but it's also, it's also so many other things. It's also a death of who you used to be. It is like reframing your priorities. It's re-understanding like who you are, how you exist with other moms, with friends, with your partner. It's, it's truly, um, like world rocking. And so I just think that, I mean, I know a lot of moms listen to this podcast 
and I mean, some daddies too, but even that, like if you, if you have a friend or a partner, someone who you can see is going through it, like a lot of, like really the first time around, like I needed my husband to say to me, like you are actually doing maybe even worse than you think you are. And we need to get you help because there's still that sort of, um, ingrained in me this there was this feeling that I had to just say no it's fine it's going to be fine and it of course it was fine but I think if I continued on the trajectory that I was on it wouldn't have been fine so if you can recognize that in someone else and offer them help and then also as a mom like I think that I'm sure everyone can relate to at least some piece of what I went through because whether or not it led you to a place of like depression like motherhood is it's lonely it's scary but I mean it's also wonderful and to me like I have learned so much about myself through this experience as horrible as it was and it's funny Katie always says like the reason well, not the reason but one of the reasons why because Katie was always unsure if she wanted to have kids or not she just couldn't see it with herself as a business owner. Like, how would that work? And um, Katie was very present um, during that time when I was really going through it. And she later on was like, yeah, you were the reason why I felt like I could be a mom. And I was like, me? Like, you saw how dark and trying that time was for me. But I think that it's just it's just what it is. And I think it looks different for everybody, but, um, yeah, I, I hope that hearing this, you know, makes you feel less alone in some way, makes you understand my experience or the experience of other people who've gone through something similar. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's something that will always be a part of my story and who I am. And I always think about how Emmett will feel when he maybe reads some of the stuff I've wrote and will he feel, how will he feel knowing that what his mom went through? And I think my bottom line that I'll, that I want him to know is that like, I loved him so much that it like almost drove me crazy. And that's like the, the the duality of motherhood is that it's so all consuming. And sometimes I can feel so wonderful and like miraculous and other times it can feel like it's going to kill you. Okay. So thank you for giving me the space to share this story. Yeah. I hope some of it resonated with you. I was trying to think of a way to close out this podcast and I feel like I wouldn't be being my true authentic self if I didn't conclude with a poem. So there's this poem by Kate Bear. Um, she's an incredible poet. She writes a lot about um, motherhood and marriage and just like what it is to be a woman in this modern patriarchal society. And um, she there's this poem that she's written called um, for the advice uh, for the cards at baby showers um, and I'm going to read it to you because I think about it all the time and 
I've written in it, written it in a lot of cards to people who have just had babies. And I just think um, it is so beautiful and captures like a lot of what I think motherhood is. Um, okay. Okay. So it's called for the advice cards at baby showers. Baby socks don't matter, but more importantly, neither does advice. This is not a performance for your friend or your mother or the woman in line who tells you about coats. Experience will teach you two things. You are the mother, and it's okay to let them go up the slide. Nothing in this world can prepare you for this love suffering, for joy and loneliness. For now, just remember, birds sing, babies cry, and no matter the weather, every morning is new. Oh, so good. Okay. Love ya. Bye.